Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and today I am so excited to be joined by media personality Rachel Lindsay. Rachel is incredibly smart, incredibly inspiring, and really all around incredible. From law school to the bachelorette to working in sports to the higher learning podcast, Rachel shares her life lessons, the importance of mentorship, her belief in manifestation, and why a no should never keep you from your goals. You are going to love this episode, so don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes and don't forget to follow at Fangirl Sports Network on Instagram for more podcast news. And with that, Fangirls, let's get to it. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited about this. I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So we are going to jump right in. And I am going to start with your time in law school and practicing law because uh, that is not something all of us have done. Um, And I want to to know how you are applying those skills to what you're doing today. Because I know a lot of people, even if they choose not to practice law long term, it's so helpful for them in their careers. It really is. And I get this question a lot. Do you still practice? Do you still practice? How could you not practice? And it's like, if you... If I go back to when I went to law school, I remember I was always on the fence. I had always said I wanted to be a lawyer as a kid and I knew I would regret it if I didn't, but I loved my major in sports management. And um, I decided to continue to go to law school, which it's something I don't regret, but I remember always thinking I wanted to do so much more. And law school doesn't teach you how to practice law, it teaches you how to think. So those skills can be applied in so many different areas. which I found as I've transitioned from law to, to working in, in TV and, or just not even really TV. I don't know why I said it like that, just as a media personality. And, and so those skills of critical thinking, the, it definitely helped on the bachelor. I mean, I've said this before, you know, I was a litigator, so I was used <laughs> to interrogating people and, you know, doing depos- preparing my witnesses for depositions and then also deposing people for depositions, which, you know, you just get down to it. You just like cut right through the BS and get to it. And I think that that type of critical thinking, that type of examining certain situations and just learning how to read a room help. Also, I, I mean, I was always arguing motions in front of a judge or presenting a case in front of a jury. And so it learns, it learns, it teaches you how to, to be able to speak in a public setting. It teaches you how to work with people um, and really just work on those communication skills in every single way. I think law one teaches you how to think, but then when you're a litigator, it takes it to a whole nother level because you learn how to be an effective communicator. And so those are skills that I'll be able to take with me throughout the rest of my life. I will say they're not always great when it comes to a relationship because you have to take off that hat and realize you're not in a courtroom. This is not a court of law. You're not trying to prove anybody wrong. You're not trying to dissect a situation. It's not black and white letter law. It's a lot of gray area. And so sometimes it can be difficult to separate the two. It's so funny you say that because I find in 
any relationships with lawyers, whether it be friendship or romantic relationships, there is a point where I'm like, you're being a lawyer. I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm just, I'm just making a comment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it becomes like a full on argument. It's the word. That's why I couldn't date another lawyer. I knew that from the beginning. I remember I, when I was going to law school, I'd have friends that would say, oh my gosh, you're going to meet a lawyer. And I'm like, I'll be looking at anybody else who isn't there, you know, whether you're a receptionist, a mm-hmm. janitor, um, you know, just there visiting. I'm looking at you. I'm not looking at these other lawyers because I just don't want to always feel like I'm in competition with with my husband. Now, for some people, it works. For me, I know myself and it just wouldn't work. That's fair. That's totally fair. That's very funny. So there you go, guys. We also got some dating advice in the podcast. (laughs) You are all welcome. Um, And speaking of which, uh, you mentioned obviously your time, um, the bachelorette and everything. And so I'm curious, what did you learn about yourself while you were on that show? Uh, On the, on the love side, I would say that I'm a hopeless romantic more than I would like to admit. Mm-hmm. And I think we all are. If you dig really deep, I can hide my emotions in my work and, you know, hanging out with friends and family. But when you're on the show, you are all of that is stripped away from you. You're left with nothing but yourself and your thoughts. And it's it's truly a gift. And and to be honest, it prepared me for a quarantine because that is what mm-hmm. we were doing. All you do is talk about how you feel and how you feel about whoever the lead is. And you talk about those emotions with producers who are kind of like your parents and the the girls in the house that you're with who are your, your only friends. And you really learn what you want for yourself in life. Mm-hmm. And that's more of something that you gather when you're a contestant on the show than when you're a lead. And if you become a lead from that, from being a contestant, it prepares you for the journey that you're about to embark on. Sorry to use the word journey. There truly is no other word. I oh, feel like I, the, I the Bachelor journey. franchise has like taken hold of that word, but it really is the perfect way to describe it. And I, as the lead, I, I knew who I was coming into it. Nothing can prepare you for the men that you're about to meet. And you can talk to every lead that came before you. It's different because there's different personalities coming on the show and then you're a different person reacting to them. But I would definitely say it taught me what I wanted for myself. And it also taught me that it's okay to feel emotion about things. I mean, I kind of grew up in a household where you you didn't really show emotion. I mean, it wasn't that I was told not to. It was just that I, I, I was very goal oriented and career focused. I grew up being told you're a Lindsay. This is kind of how you're supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to do. Even in my profession as an attorney, there's no room for tears. There's no, there aren't any rooms for showing your emotions. And honestly, a lot of the men that I encountered with as attorneys tried to play that against me, whether mm-hmm. I was in a courtroom, whether I was in a deposition, they kind of ex- stereotype you as a woman and expect you to tap into that. So you learn to be emotionless in a lot of ways. And during The Bachelor, I just took down that guard and realized it was it's okay to feel. And if I hadn't taken that guard down, I would have never been ready. I wouldn't have gone as far as I did on Nick's season. And I would have never been in a position to accept the love that Brian was trying to give me. I want to go back a little bit to what you just said about uh, as attorney, they tried to stereotype you as a woman, um, whether it be in law, in sports, in anything you're doing. How do you navigate that? Because that's obviously so frustrating for us as women that you show some sort of emotion and there's this, oh, calm down, relax, right. which by the way, here's just a fun fact. 
don't ever tell anybody relax. It's the most unrelaxing thing you can say to a person. Right. You immediately calm tense down. up. <laughs> you tell someone to calm down, they are going to be the opposite of calm, no matter who they are. But how is that something that you've been able to navigate now in all of these different parts of your career, sports, media, law, everything? I think, and this comes from therapy, I think recognizing it and admitting that it's there is the first step. Okay, like I'm not saying you have to be negative going into every situation, but just realize there are certain stereotypes that are placed upon you as a woman. And I think it comes, it's twofold for me because I'm also a black woman and there's certain stereotypes that I have to fight against being black. And so growing up, and you'll hear a lot of black people say this and growing up in a black household that you're always taught you have to work twice as hard for half as much just because there are certain stereotypes placed upon you. So it's almost a double whammy being a black woman. And you just have to know that it's there and, and push through it. You can't get caught up in it. You have to rise above it because that's exactly how they want you to react. And as long as you keep that mentality and know that you deserve to be in a room, whatever that room may be, you deserve to have that seat at the table, wherever that table may be, and you're just as worthy of being there, then that helps. That always helps me get through it. I'm here for a reason. And I'm not going to let your stereotypes that you placed on me burden me in a way that I can't do the job that I'm that I'm called to do, that I'm capable of doing. And I think as long as you walk in with that mentality, you're good. And that's how you fight through it. And how did you get to that mentality? Is What advice would you give to other Black women uh, who are experiencing much of the same thing? What tools would you have to get to that mentality? It, it really is a mind over matter tool. And that's one. Two is having a mentor, someone who looks like you, maybe who's gone through certain things. For me, I'm very fortunate because that is my father. No, he's not a woman, but I've heard his stories about the hardships that he faced. My dad graduated from University of Texas Law School, a school that didn't accept him in his undergraduate as an undergraduate, but accepted him in law. And then as he became a lawyer and graduated from one of the top schools in Texas, he couldn't find a job because he was black. And I saw him work his way as an attorney in city at the, at the, in the city of Dallas. He was a city attorney um, and he worked his way to being the city attorney, the top job overseeing all the attorneys and even the the position that he started in originally. And so I, I'm fortunate to have that and to know what hard work will do for you. So I suggest finding that mentor who can relate to you and can tell you some of the struggles they've been through and how they overcame it. And then the third thing I would just say is you cannot feel sorry for yourself. Nobody's going to feel sorry for you. Life is not fair because you were born a certain gender or you were born um, a certain color. Like nobody's going to feel sorry for you. So you can't feel sorry for yourself and you have to rise above that. And that goes back into playing into that mentality of mind over matter. You just can't, you just got to work hard and get over it. And I know that sounds tough and I am a tough love person. I would say if you are struggling with that, you know, I, I'm a, a big proponent of therapy and mental health and talking to that third party about it and embracing that you're not, you can't always be strong. I'm not always strong. I, I'm definitely not. I had therapy this morning to be, to be honest, to be completely <laughs> frank, but realizing that, okay, that's a release and you release things that way. But when it comes to other things, you have to be strong. You can't feel sorry for yourself. Life isn't fair and you just have to work through it. 
And it's something that's a mental exercise for me from the moment that I wake up to the moment that I put my head down at night. And I'm really glad that you said that you can't always be strong and that's okay. Cause I think a lot of times as women, and honestly, a lot of times just in our society, there's this idea of good vibes only, and you're stronger than this and you're stronger than that. And sometimes you're not, and it's okay to accept that and yeah. say that you need help sometimes. Recognizing and admitting certain things. I used to have the hardest time admitting things because I looked at it as a sign of weakness I just felt like you always had to be strong. You put on your big girl pants. You don't cry about it. You don't let anyone see you sweat. And I think that there is power in tapping into those emotions and admitting certain things and then building on that. And I just, I I am so much better recognizing certain things and not calling it a a weakness. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It is okay. I'm really glad you said that. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that with all of us. Of course especially during this time of quarantine. And it felt a little bit in the beginning, like there was this social media pressure to be so productive in quarantine. And I'm, and I was definitely guilty of this. Like I'm working out in the morning and then I'm baking banana bread. And then I'm also taking on the world Mm -hmm. from three to four. (laughs) And I think it, it created a lot of pressure for people and it was difficult. And you mentioned earlier how the bachelor and the bachelorette really prepared you for quarantine. So I'm wondering how have your days changed both personally and professionally during this time? Oh, um, I am a person who needs structure in their day and it's been hard professionally to try to wake up sometimes when you know that you don't have to do something till later in the day and to try Mm -hmm. to be productive throughout the day. So that's definitely been a struggle and something that I've realized I wouldn't have, I would not have recognized that about myself if I hadn't been in quarantine just because my day was so busy before and it had structure. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to constantly work on that for myself, but, but I'm, but I'm getting there. I mean, we're, we're four months in this thing right now. So I would, (laughs) I would say that I'm getting the hang of it. Uh, What was the second part of your question? The prophet? Was it personal? How it's changed. Yeah, personally and professionally. But I guess personally, how has it changed your days in your life? Yeah, personally, I mean, I guess it's been a silver lining for me, honestly, because I was always on the go so much. And I spent a lot of time, Brian and I spent a lot of time apart. So personally, it's been really great because we're here all the time. Brian is still working. He's considered an essential worker as a chiropractor, but his office is two buildings over. So he's here a lot. I've actually taken up cooking more than I, (laughs) not that I enjoy it. It's just, why not? You know, I'm I'm Mm -hmm. here. I have the time. So that's been really nice just as far as nurturing our relationship personally also. uh, And I think a lot of people relate to this. I thrive off of being on the move and human interaction. And if you had said in 2020, you know, you will be quarantined for months at a time with, with, and you can't quite see when this is going to end. I would have said, I will lose my mind instead, especially those first couple of months. I truly embraced it. I embraced the time I embraced, you know, being able to do things that I haven't been able to do because I've been so focused on, my career. So whether it's reading, cooking, journaling, meditating, working out, just sitting still and just being, I have loved every minute of it, which also has let me know that I needed this in my life. And so on days that I do get frustrated and I do get antsy, I try to be grateful that 
I do have time to just be because I don't know when I'm going to have that kind of time again. You mentioned meditating. Have you found an app that you particularly like, or is there a meditation that you'd be able to recommend? So I honestly, I've done the guided meditation. And if I do use an app, it's through Peloton because I already have that. But oh my um, gosh, me too. I love Peloton. Right. And it's super (laughs) short. They're less than 10 minutes and they're guided in for a certain purpose. So I really enjoy the peace ones. But a lot of times I try to practice just doing it by myself. You know, if it's 30 seconds and then I build up to a minute, then I'll build up to two minutes and just really try to do it without being guided. And I feel that that really helps me. Now, I haven't been able to go past two minutes, to be honest with you, without just like going into, okay, so so then I, at three o'clock, I have to do this <laughs> at four o'clock, you know? But even if you take, and, and I don't know if you guys who are listening see those Calm app commercials that come on that will remind you, ten, take 10 seconds and it'll be playing, you know, like running water or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's 10 seconds and it's the most soothing thing. If you count to 10 seconds and close your eyes and just really release, it will help you so much. It's such a good way to start off your day or even right in the middle of your day or even at night to help you calm down to go to sleep. I'm a person who can't go to sleep. I'm very restless. It takes everything in me to just completely relax and calm down. Um, But yeah, meditation has been everything. And I think a lot of people are confused on what that looks like and think you have to sit still for 30 minutes. And it's really not. You can write your own way. Start with 10 seconds and build on that. That's a really good point because sometimes I just take a walk and listen to music and I'm like, okay, this is my meditation. Yeah. And it really can kind of be what you need it to be to relax you. But I'm actually really impressed that you can last two minutes, not guided. I have to say, I don't know that I can do it. I'm very impressed. Where is, I'm sitting next to my bookshelf and I can't find it. Someone gave me a book and it, and it taught me that about it. Oh, I'll have to try to find it after this podcast. Um, But there's a book on how to do meditation and it it teaches Mm -hmm. you that about building on that. And take oh, the time. fantastic! Mm-hmm. Oh yes, please do. See if you can find that. Send that out over. I will share it with you guys. Um, I'll tweet it or put it on Instagram because I think that would be helpful for so many of us. Because I can use the apps, and I do. My mind does water, wander, but I can come back to it. But I have a hard time just doing it on my own. So I'm very impressed. I'm going to try to read that book. Yeah. Hopefully, I can. Hopefully, I can make it through the book. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I can. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, and then I'm going to get back. Uh, to talking more about you and Brian and the Higher Learning Podcast, but I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about your time working in sports. Um, And I know you interned with the Milwaukee Bucks. Obviously, you were at ESPN. When did that become something that you were passionate about and that you felt you wanted to turn into a career? Yeah. So I, and I I feel like a lot of people don't know this because when you met me, I was on The Bachelor. So that's just kind of how, oh, she's the lawyer that was on The Bachelor that's from Texas. And that's how people know you. And then they define you through the people that you were on the show with. But what a lot of people I, I don't think realize is when I went to University of Texas, Hookham, I <laughs> majored in government and I hated it. It was so boring, but I thought this is what you do. They don't have poli sci. It's government. I need this to go to law school. 
And I was randomly talking to someone and they were telling me about sports management. And I thought, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. It's communications, it's business, it's PR, there are legal classes and it's all centered around sports, sports examples, sports prompts. And so I applied, it was a very small program at the time. I think only 120 students and like 52,000 students, um, undergraduate and graduate at Texas. And I switched my major to that and I loved every bit of it. And so from there, my dad was like, well, are you still going to go to law school? And I was like, oh yeah, of course. But I was really on the fence and I left, I interned actually for a sports marketing firm. Then I interned for a sports agency and I loved it. And I thought I wanted to be an agent. That was my thing. Okay. I'm going to go to law school. I've got this undergraduate degree and I'm going to be an agent. I left um, Texas and I went to New York and I worked for the NBA league office. And the program that I got into was all community relations and event planning. That was the department. And I had a blast and I loved it. And we would work with David Stern. Uh, we worked with uh, Donna Orender, who was president of the WNBA at the time. We did a whole project for her. It was amazing. It was, they called it NBA University. I don't know if they have it, but if you're listening to this and you're in college and they have it, please apply. It was the best thing ever. And it does pay. So there's that. A lot of internships don't pay. And a lot of positives to this, in, to this internship. It, it was, <laughs> I, I couldn't believe I got it. And when I tell you I applied everywhere, it's a requirement as part of the sports management program. I actually graduated and then did it the summer. I walked and then completed it that summer. It was amazing. Oh, wow. And I still am friends with some of the people that I did that internship with years ago. Gosh, 12, 13 years ago. Wow, that's and, awesome. Yeah. And I wanted a job afterwards. They offered me something, but I still felt the pull to go to law school. So I went to law school and I majored in sports law or I concentrated in that. And that's why I chose Marquette University because they have the National Sports Law Institute. And I walked in the first day and I found the sports, the guy who runs the um, NSLI is what they call it. His name is Professor Anderson. And I said, I'm going to be your best friend over the next three years. And I worked as a research <laughs> assistant because I wanted a top internship when I was in my last year. And I'm still great friends with Professor Anderson, Professor Paul Anderson to this day. I go to Marquette Law and speak about sports and how you can diversify your career and you think that you have to do it one way. And there's so many ways that you can use your law degree for other things. Um, if there's anybody out there who's listening, I focused on sports law and I was told you have to go to a good, you have to be on law review, which I was, and you have to go to a good firm. And then after that, after you've paid your dues, you can work your way up to being working in sports on the legal side. That is so not true. And I encourage people to look outside of that. There's so many ways that you can use your law degree. You don't even have to go to a, a firm or a big firm to do that. But anyways, I worked for, for him and then I worked for the Milwaukee Bucks and I did a lot of sponsorships and kind of a lot of IP law. I would, I would write sponsorship agreements. There was at the time they were dealing with an employment issue where there was something in California where people were able to get, what was it? It was, it was a big issue at the time. Somehow they were getting paid a, a worker's comp issue in California because the laws are way more lenient there. And so I was having to do a lot of research with that. 
And I was doing a lot of IP work where I would do these cease and desist letters for companies that would use the Milwaukee Bucks's uh, emblem and their name in their restaurants. And so I'd get to write these Ooh. super mean letters about, <laughs> you need to take this down right now. I loved it. I loved all of it. So it was a lot of fun. I met great people. And it was something I thought I, I would want to do, but usually professional teams only have two attorneys or they hire, they source it out to another firm. So I went back to Texas, couldn't find, I sent, this was back in the day, I emailed and mailed out handwritten letters in these big brown envelopes, sent them off to every sports agency, every firm that worked with, with professional teams and not one person wrote me back. I mean, I had to have sent sent 50 of them out. And I'm and I'm saying this because it's a never give up type of thing, because I, mm -hmm. I definitely had an impressive resume on law review, worked for professional teams, you know, decent grades. I was definitely not at the top of my class and I still couldn't find a job. And I just realized at that point that it was all about networking and marketing, all that. So I went back to law school. Sorry, this is turning into a super long story. I went back to law that's, school. That's what we're here for. Please do not apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't go back to law school. I went to Texas, took the bar and I just said, you know what? I went to law school. I'm going to try to perfect my skills. And so I worked as a prosecutor in smaller cities outside of Texas. Texas, outside of Dallas. And then I worked and did some insurance defense. And then I continued insurance defense, but from a different aspect. And that's when I was more in the courtroom. And I did a lot of premise liability, which are very interesting cases. I did a little bit of medical malpractice. And um, yeah, it was, it was very fun. And that's the law firm that I went to where my coworkers came into my office and said, you should try out for The Bachelor. And oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's just crazy the way things things work and, and where life takes you and how if I had, I was very new to that firm. And if I hadn't switched, who knows if I would be where I am now. And so I had pretty much entrenched myself in the law, in the, the law legal profession. And I was practicing, but I knew I didn't want to be an attorney for the rest of my life. I had worked in so many different aspects with sports before, whether it be marketing, event planning legal. I knew I wanted to get back to that, but I kind of become complacent in life and doing what I was doing and really didn't know, didn't know how to go back to that girl who was so ambitious and fearless and, you know, would randomly call somebody and say, Hey, I'm trying to get an internship at, at NBA. Who do I need to talk to? I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I was doing. And when the bachelor opportunity happened, I was, I just come out of a bad relationship I had not a bad relationship. It just ended badly. And it was five years and I would had hit a wall with work. And I just thought this could be a really good escape for me to reset and figure things out. And who knew it would have taken the turn that it did. I never thought I'd fall in love. I never thought that I would um, be where I am today. And I thought you have to take advantage of every opportunity that's given to you. And I realized that coming out of the bachelorette, I loved doing the media rounds. I loved every bit of it. And I thought maybe I don't want to be behind the camera as far as going back to be an agent or event planning. I kind of want to be in front of the camera. I have something to say. And I love communicating with people, whether it's, you know, them interviewing me, me interviewing them, me getting to tell a story through some, through an interview. I just, I love it. And so as soon as I finished the bachelorette, I got a call from ESPN. And I thought, this is it. 
I have made it. They know about my background in sports. They want me to come work for them. I mean, just completely unrealistic expectations. And I say this because this was a very defining moment for me. I go to the ESPN headquarters. I'm in awe. I've dreamed about this opportunity. I had friends from back in the day reminding me, saying I always told them I would work for ESPN. I'm Mm -hmm. walking the hallways. I'm seeing people that I see grabbing lunch in the cafeteria that I watch on TV every day. I mean, just the most surreal experience ever. And then I talk to the guy who's, you know, in charge of talent and we're having the best conversation. And I'm like, this is it. I got it. And he's like, listen, we love you. I love talking to you. This is so great. But our audience doesn't recognize you for sports. You know, it was like that kind of, and I, and I was just like, why am I here? Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just like, listen, we will try to do little things that weave you into a sports audience to where they recognize you. But at the moment, nobody sees you and relates you to sports. I needed that slap in the face and that big dose of reality because I had to start over. It was the realization that you might have been on TV and had your own TV show, but the world sees you as a reality TV star, not even really as an attorney anymore. And I Mm -hmm. had to start from the ground up if I knew that I wanted to work in this industry. And so they did give me an opportunity to be a guest on First Take when they came to Dallas. But at that moment, I was talking about The Bachelorette. I talked a little bit about The Cowboys, but The Bachelorette. But I did catch the attention of somebody, an executive in in ESPN or at ESPN. And from that point, I worked my way to doing stuff on Facebook, sideline reporting. I would fly myself out for free to go do something that didn't pay anything, just to build up a reel. I would say yes to every single opportunity, whether it was doing something digital, whether I was on TV, giving advice, like a girl talk, anything I could do to show that I had the skills to be on TV and also just to practice because it's totally different to communicate in that way. And all of that led up to getting an opportunity from that same executive that saw me for for three minutes on first take, give me the opportunity to either sink or swim by hosting when the A-team left on vacation by hosting on first take. And I'm telling you, I wasn't even given like a lot of prep work, a little bit, but not a lot. It was just kind of like, and go. And 10 seconds, I'm getting a 10 second countdown. It was my first appearance on ESPN. And they say, LeBron James had just announced that he was going to the Lakers. Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman were going to come in digitally. I had not practiced that. So I was talking to a blank screen and 10 seconds, they're like 10, nine, eight, we've lost Stephen A. Smith. It's just you and Max Kellerman go. And I'm literally sitting there like, this is it. And so it was Max and I just having to talk until they brought someone else on. And that was a very, Again, another defining moment for me, but it was like you either sink or swim. You have to step up. And that opportunity put me in front of ESPN executives, more of them. And it gave me the opportunity to eventually get a radio deal. And even though I was going for TV, I got radio, which was another blessing because it allowed me to be on a five hour show and build up the knowledge that I that I didn't know I needed to talk sports. And then also it gave me the opportunity to, to fill up air for five hours. If you can do radio, I was always told you could do TV. So anyways, I've been rambling on and on and on to say, you think things are going to go one way and then they go a completely different way. Also, it taught me, don't say 
no to things because they don't fit in the way you think your life plan is supposed to go. And also a no can be the biggest yes for you. Because if I had been told yes by ESPN, I was not ready for that. I was not prepared. And there was so much I didn't know. And I spent that year in the trenches, not making any money. Even my first appearance on first take for a week, I made no money. All to prove myself and show that I got it. All to to put the work in, to humble myself in a sense, to say, no, like you, you, things aren't just handed to you. You have to work hard for them. That was a really long way of saying that, but that, (laughs) but I wholeheartedly believe that. And if I, if things had been done, if I had been told yes, I promise you they would have, I would have been spit up, chewed up and spit out. I'm actually, I'm so glad you told that story. And I'm so glad you told that story in the way you said it, because there's so much amazing information in there to unpack. But the main theme being, of course, seize every opportunity. Don't say no to opportunities and, you know, work hard and let life take you where it's supposed to take you. I think it's very easy to get discouraged when you do hear no and you get excited about something, but you're a hundred percent correct that no can be the biggest yes, because you're right. It probably would have ended differently just because if you're not ready no matter who you are, if you get thrown into something and you're not ready, you're not ready. And sometimes that could be the end as opposed to the beginning. Absolutely. And, and I should also admit that it, please don't think that I'm romanticizing the story and and that I, I was told no. And I was like, you know what? I got this. I'm going to prove you wrong. No, I was so sad. And I remember thinking, wow, people only see me as a reality TV star. I've ruined my chances. I didn't have an agent. I had a manager who knew nothing about sports. You know, people, of course, my phone was ringing to do an Instagram ad or to do an appearance in regard to Bachelor, but I knew I wanted to be do more than that. Mm-hmm. And I think also is things might, another lesson is things might not go the way that you plan them, but never lose sight of the goal that you have. You know, it would have been easy for me to say, okay, well, you know, I can always go back to practicing law. Not that that's a bad thing, but I can, I can just, you know, do Instagram ads or appearances and just talk bachelor. Not that that's a bad thing, but I knew what I wanted for myself and I never took my eye off of that. And I always, whether I might've gotten off the path, I wanted to bring myself to it. I knew I wanted to have a voice. I knew I wanted to speak out. I knew I wanted to be known more than just a bachelorette. And everything that from that no, and me being so sad and so down and building on that is helped me get to where I am. And I'm still not done. Like I still want to keep going. When you were sad and down, how do you, and even now when things, anything in life, you know, can happen, Mm -hmm. we all have our moments. How do you, you know, be sad, let yourself be sad, let yourself be down, but then kind of turn around and say, okay, now it's time to keep it moving. Yeah. One thing I, 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 I think I've said it on this past is, you know, allowing my uh, past on this podcast. I, I knew a, what you meant. I knew what you meant. <laughs> just, let me just take out a couple of letters in there um, <laughs> is allowing yourself to feel. And mm-hmm. rather than ignoring what I was feeling, I was sad. I was upset. I was, I was a little embarrassed to be honest. And I allowed myself to feel all of that. I'm a crier. You know, and I, which probably is what, why they put me on the bachelorette. You know, you got to be able to cry. 
I'm a right. crier and I allow myself to, to cry it out, whether it's in the shower, whether it's in my pillow, whether it's to Brian on his shoulder. And I, I think that helps me also I feel like I have a strong circle of family and friends that, you know, I can talk to that will encourage me, that will tell me not to give up. You know, I've, I've talked about therapy as well. Having that third party person who, you know, isn't a loved one, isn't a family friend, isn't going to judge you in that way. Uh, having that release as well to talk about. And I think all of that helps me, you know, pick myself back up and say, keep going. Why would you stop fighting? It's just a no. You know, you stand all the, to get you to where you are. I truly feel like you stand on a bunch of no's. That's what's putting you where you are. Things aren't always going to go the way that you plan them to. People aren't, aren't always going to accept you. People aren't always going to see what you're able to give to a certain situation. But don't allow that to stop you. Just keep going. Use that as your motivation. Like give yourself a beat to feel it and then take that energy to drive you to get to where you want to go. So speaking of where you want to go, well, actually, first of all, I want to say I love that. It's just a no. That's a really great thing to think about in all aspects of life. It's just a no. So first of all, thank you for that. I'm going to write that on a post-it and put it up on my mirror. <laughs> um, but uh, talking about where you want to go, and you said earlier you have a voice, you have something to say, and you now have a podcast, mm -hmm. uh, the Higher Learning Podcast, on which to say it. It's a fantastic podcast. Uh, if anyone who has been listening on this one has not listened to it, please go ahead and subscribe immediately because it really is fantastic. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about how that opportunity has come about and how you've really kind of found your voice there and, and what you're really enjoying about it. Yeah. So it's so interesting to be working for The Ringer. And, and this is something else I believe in too that comes with meditation and journaling. I truly believe in visualization and manifestation. And I believe in writing things down and, and affirmation, you know, saying certain things like, I am this, I want this. And you keep that as a focus so you can remember what you need to do to get to what you want. And I was, I'm a big notes writer in my iPhone. Like you, I have the craziest things. And then it's even outlined. It, I, it's, I'm so type A, but I have all That's these impressive. notes that I, it's the, outlined. It's very impressive. <laughs> I just have all these notes, like as, as you know, how people like back in the day used to have the recorder and they would just say things into them so they can remember. That's how I use my notes. And, um, I was looking in my notes and on October 24th, 2018, I had written so that's probably a year after I got the no. And I was working in radio at this point for ESPN, but I knew I wanted to do more. And I started writing down TV, writing, radio, all these different areas that I wanted to work in and who I wanted to work for. And I found a note talking about wanting to work with Bill Simmons. So fast forward to this year, 2020, I am now working with Bill Simmons, somebody I admire, somebody I look up to. And I told him that, and I just feel like that was me manifesting that. I never stopped. I've always been a huge fan of The Ringer, and now I have a podcast on The Ringer. And what I truly appreciate about the opportunity that Bill has given me is that when I was talking to him about it, which a lot of people think that this podcast was in response to what's happening in the world, I think our content is, but this is something that we've been in talks about for a while. And I remember Bill saying to me, don't you want to do something that you're really proud of? 
that you really feel like you can 100% be yourself. You don't have to necessarily hold back. And I feel like this is what this podcast is. It has been such a release in this, this crazy year with the pandemic, with Black Lives Matter, politics, everything that's going on that just seems like a movie. The podcast has just been such a great release. And I've gotten such positive feedback about people. I really feel like we're attracting an audience where people wanna learn, they wanna grow. They come to us seeking understanding. They're very interactive in the sense that they say, hey, hope to hear you talk about this, or could you talk about this? Thank you for talking about this. Thank you for being a voice in this. And Van and I, neither one of us really have a great filter, which is a gift and a curse. <laughs> but we're talking about politics and current affairs and how that relates to the culture and to sports and entertainment. And it's just been so great. And we're only like 15 episodes in and I'm just so proud of it. And I'm just grateful for this opportunity. And I don't think if this was not, I don't think, I know that if this was offered to me three years ago, when I came off the bachelorette, I wouldn't have been ready for it. Mm-hmm. And I've, I feel like I'm at the point now where I have found my voice and it's been respected. And if you don't like what I have to say, people don't listen. And if you do, they do. Or if you are kind of indifferent, you're like, I, you know, I respect her, but I just don't agree with what she said. And I, and I'm at the point where I'm not afraid to say certain things anymore. I feel like I can be unapologetically myself and that's taken time to develop. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful for doing for having this podcast where I can cover so many things that interest me, you know, and then I can mm-hmm. go on television and I can talk about certain things, but then know that I can get back on the podcast and release certain things, certain things I can't say on television. I can say on a podcast. It's just a different type of audience. And that's more receptive to that type of talk. I think that's true. That is one of the really fantastic things about podcasts um, that you can, you can say so much. Well, I understand why you're proud of it. It really is. It is fantastic. And I think it is an incredible opportunity for listeners to learn. And we are at a very important time in our history in which we need to be learning and listening and open to hearing different points of view. Um, and so it's, it's just been a joy to listen to it. So congratulations on Thank it. Thank you. It's, it's really fantastic. Um, so some, a little bit along those lines, uh, but kind of not. So that's, that's my greatest transition I've come up with to date. Um, we had (laughs) talked about earlier, I said I was going to talk more about Brian. I recently watched you guys on uncomfortable conversations with the black man, Mm -hmm. uh, and talking about interracial relationships. Everybody, it's another thing. Everybody should go watch it because it was fantastic. But for those who haven't seen it yet, Can you talk about the experience and why it was important for you uh, to be a part of it? Yeah. So a lot of people don't know Emmanuel Acho is a good friend. We're both from Dallas. We went to Texas and then we both worked at ESPN at the same time. So our paths have crossed quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And he's somebody I can definitely call a good friend. And it's funny because I'm going to be moving to L.A. to for a I'll be back and forth, but I'll be spending a lot of time in LA and he just moved to LA to work for Fox sports. So it's, it's crazy how things align up for us. But, um, um, I, I saw what, well, actually let me back it up. Uncomfortable conversations is an idea that a man who had that he wanted myself to be a part of another black male, Marcus Spears, actually, since we're talking okay. sports mm-hmm. and, there were going to be there was going to be a a white male and a and a white woman 
And we were going to have this roundtable discussion of, and it was at the peak of Black Lives Matter, where so many white people were asking Black people questions. And we thought we can have this roundtable discussion where we can talk. And because of Corona, we were not able to all be in the same place at the same time. So Emmanuel was like, I'm just going to do it myself. And I was like, you go for it. It's your idea. Mm-hmm. And when I saw the first episode, I thought, why did you even need us? This is so much more powerful with just you. If it had been all of us, it would have been like what you normally see on TV. The content wouldn't have been, but the the image of it would have. And I just think him standing there in the all white background is very powerful. And he's so great at being able to break things down in an interesting, fun and easy way for people to get it. So when he started having different episodes about different subjects, he was like, from the beginning, you and Brian have to be a part of the interracial couple episode. And something that I've learned in this movement is that a lot of interracial couples don't have these difficult conversations, which blows my mind. It was something I talked with Brian about in the fantasy suite. You know, have you dated outside of your race? Have you brought a black woman home? Will your family accept me? What is it going to, I didn't talk about children at that point, but that's something that came afterwards. Like once I had chosen and we talked about raising children, what does that look like to, to raise biracial children in this world? And I don't understand how you skip through those conversations and ignore it as if every day you don't look in the mirror and see that you are black and the other person is a different race or whatever, whatever makes you an interracial couple. So I jumped at the opportunity to be able to have these conversations. The only thing I regret is that it couldn't have, I wish it could have been longer because Mm -hmm. there was so much more to, and, and hopefully, you know, now he's announced he's teaming up with Oprah for a book. Maybe this will become something even bigger and we can revisit those conversations. But I think there are a lot of people who are either scared to be in interracial relationships and hearing us talk about it, being Brian and then PK and Lindsay maybe broke that things down for them to where they're like, okay, it's not that scary. Okay. People do accept it more. Maybe it helps another couple who's been afraid to have those tough conversations. Maybe it helped a family member who has been not as receptive to the, their child or you know, whatever relative being in an interracial relationship. And it broke down those barriers. I think that it was, I love what he's doing. There's so many ways to hit it. And I was just very happy and proud to be a part of the interracial couple conversation and and honest about my own hesitations to be in an interracial couple, uh, to be in an interracial relationship. I was very against it in the beginning. And I discussed that on um, the, the conversation that everyone saw. And I think it's important to know I think people, they see you in an interracial couple and they assume, oh, she's always wanted to date outside of her race or he has or whatever. They think they define you just based off what they see. They don't know the journey that you took to get there. And so I I think it was important for people to know that I was always not for this. And let me tell you what my mindset was and why I used to be that way. And let me tell you why it is where it is now. So I, I hope it helped people. And from, you know, there were a lot of positive comments about it. And I think it did. And I think it's important to continue to have those conversations. Uh, they are uncomfortable, but they're necessary. Well, I, get, I don't normally give homework on the podcast, but I would say in addition to you guys listening to Higher Learning, not only watch that episode of, but of, of Uncomfortable Conversations, but watch them all. Because as you said, Rachel, it is incredibly powerful and, and he's powerful. Um, yeah. And so I think we are 
we are lucky to have that content, to be honest. And so I urge everybody to go watch it. Like I said, I don't normally give out homework, but this week, guys, I'm giving you homework. Um, but I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. It's enjoyable homework and there will not be a quiz. Um, <laughs> Rachel, I feel like I could talk to you forever and ever and ever, but, um, I know that you probably have other things to do. So before I let you go though, we are going to do five fun facts. So I think most people who listen to this know this, but I cover the 49ers and five fun facts is something I started doing with the players. Uh, we do it on my iPhone and it's been for lack of a better term, a lot of fun. And at the end of every podcast, we do five fun facts with our guests. So it's the same five questions. So whenever you're ready, I will just run down them and you can let us know your answers. Okay. I'm ready. All right. Your first, what is your favorite moment in sports? Oh, this is an easy one. I'm a Longhorn. So the national 2006 national championship game where we beat USC, I was there. I cried. I've never cried at a sporting event ever. It was the best. And and I will fight you over this. The best, (laughs) best college football game in history. The odds were against us. I remember being in LA with my cousin, who's my best friend, And we were watching the news and we were like, look at this. Everything is USC. The game in the media had already been determined. You would have thought USC had already won the game. Texas was getting no love. So to be down, to play in their state, to be down and to come back the way we did, it's one of the best. That's why it's always on TV. It was a fantastic game, <laughs> I have to say. I went to Michigan, and so I've seen I've seen some good games, but um, not recently, of course. But I have seen some good games. Uh, but that was a fantastic football game, and I can understand why you cried. I'm impressed. I cry at sporting events all the time, so I'm very impressed. That was <laughs> I, don't, I definitely don't. They <laughs> usually involve losses in baseball is usually the – the subject of my tears, but, gotcha. um, but that is also, that was a great game. Um, gosh, I'm just like thinking back on it. I kind of have the chills cause I was, I live in LA, but don't tell I, uh, I was rooting for Texas. So <laughs> I was excited for you. Uh, what is your life motto? Even though you've sort of shared some of them, uh, what is your life motto? Oh, um, I, I feel like I don't have one life motto, but I guess based on this podcast, stand on those no's, you know, like, uh, like let those, let the no's be the, the, the fuel that drives you to a yes, I should say. Um, I like that. Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I can't, I could never get it down to, to one thing. That's okay. So, and you don't, you don't have to get it down to one. I, I think that's a good, um, amalgam of many of the things that you've said, but. And you know what I'll also say, and this is crazy because somebody just texted me this and it's something that Van said in our last podcast, adjust your expectations. And I think that that is very uh, relevant to what we've talked about today. Adjust your expectations. I like that as well. That's, that is a great one. Adjust your expectations. All right. What is your go-to workout? Peloton. Even though right now I'm dealing with the sciatic nerve issue, but Peloton, I got it in quarantine. It has been my best friend and I am obsessed with it. You and me both will have to follow each other. It's so fun. I did one actually this morning before the podcast. It's such a great way to start your day. I miss it. I I probably haven't done it in a month. Like It's bothering me. So I've been doing other things, but yes, it's my favorite. 
Well, I will recommend there's a Peloton 30 minute Dolly Parton themed yoga class, which I don't know <laughs> if that would help the sciatic nerve situation, but it's really fun. That's <laughs> all the- so funny. Who's your favorite Peloton instructor? I think it's going to have to be Cody Rigsby. Cody's amazing. I love Cody Rigsby, but very close second would be Emma Lovewell and um, Allie Love. But that Cody Rigsby, he just really cracks me up and I have such a good time. Cody's great. (laughs) He is. And all the music is so fun. I know. So much fun. Um, So I think he'd have to. Do you have a favorite? Cody and Alex. And they're opposite okay. ends of the spectrum. When I'm, they are opposite. Yes, they are. When I'm lazy and I need somebody to be like, "Get your butt up and go," it's Alex. I need, to, I need you to yell at me and talk to me that way. When I want to have fun and I ride by myself because my friends won't ride with Cody, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I ride Cody. <laughs> well, Alex, in some ways, I've sometimes I'm like, you should be a motivational speaker because I'm fired up now. I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> You got me going, Alex. Um, his Michael Jordan last dance ride was so much fun. So much fun. I know. That's when I could still ride. That was, that was a good time. Well, soon, hopefully soon. We'll try the try, try the Dolly Parton oh, yoga hopefully. class. It might. It might. I will. I will. It was fun. Um, so go to coffee order, though. I have found doing this podcast that not everybody drinks coffee. So if you have a tea order, please feel free to share that. No, I have a coffee order. It is a grande skinny cinnamon dolce latte hot with caramel drizzle. That sounds amazing. It's so good. That's not, maybe so not good. good for you, but it's good. <laughs> hey, everybody needs, after all that Pelotoning, everybody needs a little treat. And that exactly. sounds absolutely amazing. Uh, and then last but not least, a book every woman should read. I mean, if I was going to go for motivation, I would say Becoming by Michelle Mm -hmm. Obama, because what I I think I love the most that I learned in this book is I found myself very similar to her and that I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I was going to do it. And then you get there and you're like, you beat somebody else and you see what they're doing and you realize it's okay to change that path. It doesn't change necessarily who you are. When she leaves private practice and she goes and she works for, I don't know if it was the city. I think it was the city. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. And I didn't, I never knew that about her. And so I just think it's a, it's called becoming. And that's exactly what you see happening, happening to her as you read the book. So that one. And then if I was going to go with a fiction book, I'm biased. I just read, it was the first book I read in quarantine. It's called in five years. Oh, and it, it is so good. It's by Rebecca Searle. And it's just very quickly. It's about a woman who has her life, another, another attorney, maybe that's why I like it, has her life planned down to the wire, what school she's going to go to, what firm she's going to work, work for, who she, what kind of man she was going to get engaged to. And she goes to sleep one night and she wakes up and it's five years later. Oh, and she gets a glimpse of her life in five years, but she doesn't understand it. And the book is about that in between of the moment she goes to sleep and the moment she wakes up in five years and you you explore those five years with her. It is very, very good. There are so many life lessons in it. And it's another thing about you think things are gonna go a certain way and they don't, but that's okay to embrace that. It's so good. Oh, that sounds really, really good. As soon as I finish the book I'm reading, I'm going to read that next. That sounds really, really <laughs> it's good. good. Oh, okay, well, I wrote that down because we'll have to listen to that or have to read that for sure. 
Um, well, thank you, Rachel. This was so awesome. And I just feel very lucky, honestly, to have get to got to spoke. I'm going to try that sentence all over again. <laughs> I feel very lucky to have been able to speak with you. And I know our listeners feel very lucky to have heard you because you just shared so many incredible stories and important lessons. Um, and so this was a very inspiring and fun podcast. So thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you so much for having me. The pleasure's all mine. We will talk to you soon. Everybody, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on iTunes and do follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. We will talk to everybody soon. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.